Across New England, commercial businesses of all sizes rely on Eastern Bank. We help clients grow by being able to answer their larger loan needs and by offering innovative solutions, smart decision-making, and one-on-one relationships. From franchise financing to community development and asset-based lending, our knowledgeable and experienced commercial team deeply understands your business and the communities you serve. See how we can help you meet your business goals at easternbank.com slash commercial. Member FDIC. Welcome to Say More from Boston Globe Opinion. I'm Shirley Leung. Well, here we are at the start of the 2024 election season, and it feels strangely familiar, with Trump and Biden seeming to be headed for a rematch. But it is early. A gaggle of Republican candidates are competing to be the Trump alternative. Trump himself is in a bunch of legal trouble. President Biden is polling pretty badly and facing constant questions about whether he's too old for a second term. Today, we're going to do something a little different. I'm joined by some of the brightest writers and thinkers at Globe Opinion to make sense of this moment that we're in. Kimberly Atkins Store is a senior opinion writer and columnist. Kareen Hajar is an opinion writer. And Joan Vinaki is a columnist. So great to have all of you here on Say More. Great to be here. Thanks for having us. Nice to be here, Shirley. So, Kim, I want to start with you. So Trump is facing four separate indictments. You know, the first trial in the federal case, the one led by special counsel Jack Smith, could happen one day before Super Tuesday in March. Does this timing help Trump? Yeah, I guess it depends on what you mean by help. These are four cases so far, we should say. Um, we, we don't know what will happen between now and then. There are also civil cases underway that Donald Trump is a part of that are also moving forward between now and Election Day. It seems, if we're just speaking politically, so far among Trump's most ardent based the indictments have done nothing to harm him. They've only served to reinforce his own falsehoods that this is some sort of political witch hunt, which, of course, it isn't. So it's not good news for Trump as a citizen to be facing this kind of criminal liability. But politically, it does not seem to have harmed him. I think it's too early to tell whether it has helped him. I do believe just from the people that I talk to that even among Republicans, there is a contingency that either believes that Donald Trump is dangerous and should not be at the head of their party or those who still like him don't want the headache of having a standard bearer who is facing this type of legal liability, not just because it's a hassle, but because what he's being charged with is actually trying to overturn the results of an election and really undermine democracy itself. So it's hard to see if it's helping, but it's certainly among the most Trumpy of MAGA world uh, has not been a problem for him. Kareen, what do you think? Do you agree with that? Those voters who are ardent Trump fans really aren't going to be put off by any of this. If anything, I think it's energizing them, especially folks who think that these are politicized indictments or that parts of this are politicized. I think, though, that there is a pretty big group of not only non-Trump conservatives, but moderates who are getting serious fatigue from all of this. 
and folks who would otherwise be voting for the Republican ticket. So, Joan, Trump may be facing multiple indictments, but they're hardly open and shut cases, right? I mean, in particular, I'm thinking about the Manhattan District Attorney's case. Could that be politically motivated? I mean, that's the one alleging that Trump, during the 2016 campaign, paid hush money to Stormy Daniels. But others argue, no, no, no one, you know, even a former president is above the law. So, Joan, how are you feeling about these indictments? Well, from Trump's perspective, they're all politically motivated, right? And I think that in some ways, the Stormy Daniels one is probably the least important maybe to voters. To me, the case in Georgia is the one that really stands out. You have the tape of Donald Trump talking to Secretary of State Raffensperger and saying that, you know, he wants him to find votes. And, you know, there obviously can be legal arguments about what he meant or his First Amendment rights to be saying that, but they have they have him on tape. Um, on the other hand, that case has 18 other defendants. So there's a lot going on. There's a lot of juggling that has to happen. But that one seems to me to, you know, to be the one that that you know, could really cause him trouble. Kareem, now, Biden doesn't seem to be talking about Trump's indictments. I mean, do you think that's a smart strategy? I don't know if it's smart so much as necessary for the president right now. If he brings up the former president's legal troubles, people will be very quick to point to his son, Hunter Biden. And now with Kevin McCarthy opening inquiries into impeachment, uh, that'll, that'll open it up for folks to point fingers at the president. So I don't think there's much that Joe Biden can say about the indictments. Yeah, I have a a very different view on that. Joe Biden is not only the president of the United States, he is also the presumptive Democratic nominee for re-election in 2024. He is Trump's opponent. And I think if this were perhaps just the hush money case, right, I think it would make potential sense for the president not to say anything because first and foremost, he wants to ensure that the White House looks completely separate from the Justice Department and all the federal and state prosecutors who are involved in these charges because they ought to be, because that's an important principle for democracy. But at the same time, President Biden is running against someone who tried to spur an insurrection in an effort to overturn the results of those elections. He is running at a time where polls have shown that voters, particularly Democratic voters, are particularly interested in democracy and issues like voting rights and don't like the idea of their votes not being counted. And so I think that it is imperative for Joe Biden, the candidate, as well as Joe Biden, the leader of our nation, to speak very clearly about the importance of the rule of law and the importance of protecting it and reminding us how fragile democracy is and which party is the one that is seeking to destroy it. Karita, I want to talk about, you You mentioned that you think uh, the indictments are energizing his base. And, you know, we just, we just had, I just had Boston College professor Heather Cox Richardson on this podcast. You know, I asked her the questions like, why haven't the indictments had an impact on his supporters? They're still behind him. She said that the reason why they're standing by him is because they don't want to say that they got something wrong, right? But do you think that when people go to the polls and actually vote and actually think about it, they will think about those indictments and they will think, I cannot elect uh, a president who is facing all these indictments. 
I don't know that it's so much about the indictments as it is about a double standard. And a lot of these folks feel that there is blatant double standard with the way that the DOJ treats Hunter Biden, for example, and then the way that it's treating Donald Trump. Certainly there are grounds for these indictments, but uh, one can understand why with the plea deal falling apart for Hunter, why Republican voters who are ardent supporters of the former president would say, well, if he can get away with it, why can't President Trump? So I can't say whether or not they're really factoring in the legality of it. I think it might be more of a question of politics. The last time I checked, Hunter Biden is not running for president, at least back in 2016, when the Republicans made Hillary Clinton's email an issue. She was a presidential candidate. Hunter Biden is obviously the son of Joe Biden, who had some business dealings that may or may not be worthy of scrutiny. And I, I believe they are worthy of scrutiny. But at this point, you know, to me, looking into Hunter Biden would be sort of equal to looking into Ivanka Trump and, you know, the licensing things that she got in China when her father was president, or into Jared Kushner and the millions of dollars that he got from the Saudi government, you know, six months after Donald Trump left office. So Hunter Biden is a wonderful distraction. And the Republicans are masters at that. I mean, it just gives me a flashback. I don't want to sound, you know, sort of old and all that, but being in um, Cleveland in 2016, I could still remember Michael Flynn standing up at the stage and leading thousands of people in a locker up chant. They're really good at it. They're trying again with Biden. The impeachment effort is the same thing, deja vu all over again. And I'd like to think that Joe Biden will get to talk about democracy and the soul of the country, but the Republicans are going to do their best to make sure that the conversation is about Hunter. I just wanted to add one thing to what Joan said. The calls, and they're coming from Donald Trump, for an impeachment investigation of President Biden are not to get to the bottom of what happened with Hunter Biden. They are purely political. He wants a tit-for-tat impeachment because he was impeached. The House is not on a fact-finding mission. The House is on a political mission that is led by Don Donald Trump is calling for this. The, the, the uh, Republican caucus wouldn't even done this, but for Donald Trump's call. The House operation is completely a political endeavor. So I want to talk about Biden's age. And polls are pretty clear that voters think he's too old. Uh, or as pollster Nate Silver likes to say, Biden is just one Mitch McConnell moment away from losing the presidency to Trump. So should Democrats be encouraging a more open, competitive primary? I personally think the very last thing that Democrats need in this moment is a competitive primary when their number one goal is eradicating Trump from the political sphere. I mean, I think that that would be it's like Democrats already have a really good way of messing things up, even when they have all of the momentum. Just politically, they've just displayed an, a unique ability to do that. So it would be disastrous. This would I be think having a primary is perhaps the dumbest idea ever. You you Listen. Whether it's an issue of age, whether it's an issue of, you know, Bill Clinton had other problems. Nobody loves their incumbent. Nobody loves their incumbent. They always are, are looking at the grass being potentially green or someplace else. But that doesn't mean that a primary is the answer. And I think right now spending that kind of money, pitting Democrats against one another and getting rid of the one of the biggest assets Democrats have right now, which is unity, 
Um, I, I just think that that would be a, a ridiculous idea. What do you think, Joe? I knew you were going to come to me next. <laughs> well, Joe Biden is old. I've realized at a certain point in life, you like to think of age as a state of mind. But unfortunately, the older you get, you have to convince people that you know you can still walk, talk. And even with his aviator glasses, he looks old and he sounds old. That being said, I mean, I agree with Kim. And I think that Democrats would rather have an old and possibly senile Joe Biden than a manic, insane Donald Trump. The choices are not great, but I think this is one election that could actually be more about policy than personality. And the issues that Kim laid out that are really important to Democratic voters, like abortion for one thing, just like the idea of democracy, like the idea of personal freedom, that's going to outweigh their concerns that Joe Biden shuffles around a little bit and once in a while trips over a sandbag. So, Corrine, how come on? All right. This age issue, how big of a liability is it? Well, I, I have to say, I think that the media is very kind with their coverage of, of Joe Biden. You know, he shuffled off in the middle of a Medal of Honor ceremony, countless stumbles, tripping on stages. I think that we need to look at the age of a lot of our people in higher office and, and really ask ourselves, uh, is it right to be encouraging these folks to stay in office no matter what party? Our political panel continues after this short break. At Eastern Bank, we believe that growing business should also grow the community. That's why we work to give all business owners what they need to take their dreams to the next level. Our dedication to small businesses and communities has inspired us to create the Equity Alliance for Business program and become the number one SBA lender in Massachusetts for 15 years running. We're proud to be here for all businesses, big and small. See the good we can do for you by visiting easternbank.com slash business. Member FDIC. In late 2007, the remains of a young woman from the Casca Nation were discovered in the Yukon woods. I always think about, I want to know what really happened. So I travel north to try to understand what happened and who was involved. It's a pretty big risk to come forward with the information that I have. I'm David Ridgen, and this is Someone Knows Something, Season 8, The Angel Carlet Case. Available now. I want to talk about the Republican primary. So, Corrine, you've been watching Republican candidates closely. I, I think you've been up to New Hampshire, made the pilgrimage up there to see the candidates in action on the campaign trail. So are there any candidates that seem to have a chance against Trump at this point? Well, I'll say that New Hampshire right now is the battleground for the most exciting race for second place I've ever seen. I don't really see anyone having an actual shot at beating the president right now. I mean, we're early in campaign season. A lot of things could change. Who surprised you the most, I guess? In a good way. <laughs> Chris Christie's event surprised me the most. Everyone knows this about the former governor of New Jersey, that he's not afraid to be outspoken. But I found him to be incredibly authentic in the way that he was speaking with voters. He was also very upfront about the fact that he did support the former president and spent a long time with the Trump administration. But 
has come to the light, he claims, and is running this campaign specifically to counter President Trump and to safeguard democracy and to also safeguard the principles that the Republican Party stood by before 2016. Corrine, who's the biggest disappointment? I think that Vivek is both impressive and scary in his ability to really resonate with the Trump wing of the party. He's very energetic. And and so he's a compelling candidate, but it's also worrisome for folks who don't want to see the party go deeper into the MAGA direction. Kim, who's the candidate that you think that has the best shot against Biden if it's not Trump? I, I admit I haven't really thought about it in that way because I don't expect it to be anyone but Donald Trump. Some are trying to be, you know, the Trump apparent if for some reason Donald Trump doesn't make it on the ticket. Some of them, you know, like Chris Christie is running some sort of, you know, mission to destroy Trump. And it doesn't matter if he destroys himself in the process. Um, You have, you know, people like Mike Pence who are wishing that the Republican Party were a different place. I, I don't know if even polling can give us a really good idea of which of those people in some sort of alternative universe, how they would match up against Joe Biden. I think we honestly don't know. What I do think is by and large, what the primary is showing is that, you know, the Republican Party had a moment to free itself of Donald Trump. You know, they showed a little bit of backbone after January 6th. They also had a moment with this to say, you know what, we are going to collectively rally behind a different candidate in order to move our party forward. And what the primary has shown us is that Republicans refuse to do that. They're too afraid of doing it. They're afraid of Donald Trump. They're afraid of the voters who love Donald Trump. And they really missed a moment. And I think that's my biggest takeaway of this primary so far. Now, I thought Ron DeSantis was supposed to be the Trump killer. Joan, what happened to him? Well, I think Donald Trump took him down pretty quickly. Trump just focused all of his fire on DeSantis. I mean, he clearly saw him as the person that he needed to beat. That plus DeSantis, he just seems like an incredibly unlikable and uncomfortable political candidate. And what he did in Florida just hasn't translated so far in the national campaign trail. So the combination of his own sort of um, ineptness plus Trump just taking him down has seemed to eliminate him for the moment. Do you think, I mean, a recent poll had uh, Nikki Haley as the GOP candidate who could beat Biden, I think, beyond the margin of error. I mean, what can she do? What would it take for her to to kind of blow past Trump and, and be in the finals? <laughs> blow past Trump. It's more like Trump has to implode and people. I don't know that it's one thing that she can do. I think it's more that collectively Republican voters have to say, wait a minute, his time is over. He's an anchor on the party. We like some of his policies, but he's not electable. I mean, I know the polls do show that he's head on head with Biden and some even them show him ahead right now. But I just feel and I have nothing to base this on other than maybe optimism that in the end, some modicum of good sense prevails and people just say, we don't want him back. Even if we like some of the things we did, we just don't want him back in the White House and that those people in the Republican Party look for an alternative. So could what Haley could do? I think, again, I mean, she can try to rally the Republican Party about around some idea of a middle ground on some issues. 
ultimately, I think it would be hard to sell that middle ground though nationally. The real tragedy of the Republican Party right now is that they have winning candidates, but a losing strategy. And I think all you have to do is look at the midterms and the red wave that never was. Before the primaries, you're running these extremely Trumpy candidates and putting all your resources into them. And they were they were compelling moderates. And then when these Trumpy candidates got the nomination and ran, a lot of them didn't prevail. Look at Adam Laxalt in Nevada, for example, even though he tried to walk back or make his allegiance to President Trump a little hazier at that time. So I think Republican leadership really needs to step up and we need to have a unified message saying that, like you said, Joan, some of these policies we liked, we we liked some of the outcomes of of the Trump administration and, and the policies there, but it's time to move on. It's time to stand behind someone who can win a national election, first of all, but who can unify folks as well and who can get a conservative agenda across without having major national upheaval and political upheaval. So I now have a question for each of you to answer quickly. I'm finally allowed to do a lightning round, (laughs) my very first one. So if the general election were to happen tomorrow, what issue do you think will play the biggest role in how things turn out? So Kim, you go first. (laughs) Oh, I don't know if it'll be one. I think it'll be a combination of democracy and abortion. Oh, those are two big topics. All right, uh, Kareen? I think my answer is the same as it always is. It will be the economy. The soul of America. <laughs> that's, that's what that's what Biden said in 2020. And I, I think it's still about that. And I agree with Kim. Um, democracy and abortion. Abortion will motivate a lot of women. And democracy should just motivate a lot of people in general. All right, Joan, I said this is a lightning round. You just gave three answers, but I'll I'll take it and I I won't ban you next time. So, well, Kim, Kareen, and Joan, this was so much fun to gab politics and uh, we have to do this again. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Shirley. Thanks, everyone. Say More is a production of the Boston Globe. Today's episode was produced by Anna Kusmer with help from Scott Hellman, Jesse Remedios, Alexis Sargent, and Abby Kanina. Our editor is Jim Dow. Our engineer is Ariana Martinez. Maggie Taylor is our marketing coordinator. Our music is from APM Music. Follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Find us online at globe.com slash opinion. I'm Shirley Leung. Thanks for listening.